Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to our GSP Ace of the Day segment, a show where I offer my picks for each and every day's matches at the 2022 Australian Open. We're going to give Day 11 an incomplete grade for now. Here's why. Yes, we're 0-1-1, down one unit overall for now, but... While we'll have to eat the Iga Sviantec money line loss, and credit to Danielle Collins takes it to Sviantec in a straight set victory on her way to her first Grand Slam final. I was just plain wrong about the terms of that match. I thought the dynamic nature of Iga Sviantec's ball might give Danielle Collins some problems from the baseline. I thought Sviantec would get her stretched in the outer thirds, be able to attack the Danielle Collins second serve. I was wrong. It was Collins who was doing the dictating. Collins, the more aggressive of the two players from the baseline. Collins having no problem absorbing and redirecting the heavy topspin of Iga Sviantek. The two-time NCAA champion, Danielle Collins, was exceptional. And so while I was wrong about that bet, I was correct to include Ashley Barty's money line into a Barty-Medvedev parlay to give us some options here as we approach day 12. And credit to Ashley Barty. She has looked like a prohibitive favorite from the moment play began in Melbourne. Another straight set victory for her over uh, Madison Keys to advance to her first Australian Open final. And by the way, both of those matches, Colin Sviantek, Barty versus Keys, going to be recapped on today's mini break podcast with David Kane as we set the scene for the championship match at the 2022 Australian Open. But again, we've got some options here as we approach day 12. And day 12, men's singles semifinals, Rafa Nadal taking on Matteo Berrettini, Daniil Medvedev taking on Stefano Tsitsipas. On today's show, I want to break down those matchups for all of you listeners, present the stats for each of these players as we approach this match, talk about some tactical things I'll be looking for most closely, and then, of course, offer my predictions for each match, offer you how we can find value on the today's board as well from these matches, and with that in mind, as always, uh, shout out to our friends at Tennis Abstract, providing all of the stats, providing their singles draw forecast, shout out to our friends at the DraftKings Sportsbook for providing the odds used in today's podcast segment. But again, much like yesterday, rather than only focus on the odds, only focus on the ways to find value, I want to preview each of these matches for you listeners. So let's get to it. Here are my picks, my GSP aces of the day for day 12 of the 2022 Australian Open. Let's start with Medvedev Berrettini and certainly was a bit of a Houdini act for Rafa Nadal to escape with a five-set quarterfinal win over Denis Shapovalov. Now, neither player played particularly well in that quarterfinal match, but credit to Nadal secures an early break in service game number one of Denis Shapovalov in that fifth set. Hold serve the rest of the way, despite dealing with abdominal issues. And the good thing for Rafa is he's had two days off now to get healthy, to deal with what was ever, uh, to deal with whatever what was bothering him in that quarterfinal match. And you know, again, a well-rested Rafa is always a different sort of monster. And you know, it is worth mentioning as we look at Rafa Nadal undefeated here 
to start his 2022 season. That includes not just his uh, five victories here in Australia, but also his title in Melbourne to kick off the season. Now, it wasn't the most difficult stretch of matches. You know, beats Barankis, gets a withdraw before beating Rusevori and Cressy in straight sets, respectively. But Rafa's had some time now to work his way physically, work his way tactically into the season. And, you know, you look at the numbers for him thus far. He's holding serve 93% of the time this year. Obviously, that number would have ranked number one amongst top 50 players last season. Better than Isner, better than Rayanich, better than Medvedev and Tsitsipas, number one. And again, hasn't been the most difficult slate of matches. Shapovalov, his toughest match to date. He also has straight set wins over Giron, Hanifman, and Manorino in this tournament. A four-set win over Karen Hachanov as well. But you look for him overall in the tournament. He's been broken a grand total of five times, you know, uh, excuse me, four times, once by Hachanov, once by Manorino, and then, you know, the two times Denis Shapovalov breaks him to take 6-4 and 6-3, uh, third and fourth sets. Now, you know, in three of the four sets Rafa's been broken, he's gone on to lose those sets. And I do think that is worth noting because it speaks to the fact that you look for Rafa, 29.4 break percentage here this season, but or uh, here on the year. But, you know, again, I think some of those numbers are padded in the stats from his comfortable straight set round victories and, you know, are indicative of the fact, I think that he's been broke or, you know, he's lost the set in three of the four sets he's been broken. I think that stat is more indicative of where Rafa's at as a returner right now than where he's at in terms of what the break percentage says he's playing. But, I mean, you look for Rafa Nadal over, the, you know, this past stretch of time. He's been exceptional by just about any metric you'd want to point to. Now, you look for Rafa again here over his last 52 weeks, 32-5 and five overall, right? That's an 86% win percentage. But let's go back even further than that and talk about Rafa Nadal since he's returned to play, you know, since the tour resumed in August 2020, right? Because it's really been one big block of time since that layoff due to the pandemic. Rafa's 46-9 and nine overall since August 2020. That's an 83.6% win percentage now. How does that compare to him in his career? He's won 83.3% of his ATP Tour matches. 1,034 victories for Rafa against only 208 defeats. That's ridiculous. But again, he's winning at about the same clip as he always has. He's 29-1 and against opponents ranked outside the top 20 over these past 52 weeks. That's a 97% win percentage, 7% better than his 90% win percentage. Do you know he still hasn't lost 100 total matches in his career to players ranked outside the top 20? He's 70, uh, 712 and 78. That's just ridiculous. You look for him from a percentage standpoint, he's actually holding serve and breaking serve about 2% better than he has in his career against those outside the top 20 players. And I think that speaks to the efficiency in Rafa's uh, game at this stage of his career. If you don't have the weapons to beat you, he is so efficient now in hitting the plus one uh, forehand to the open court, following that ball in, shortening points, being the aggressor when the short ball presents an opportunity. He doesn't have to grind out matches physically the way he used to because he's so assertive with his baseline positioning regardless of surface. And so it doesn't surprise me that he's beating opponents worse than him, worse now than he was earlier in his career because that's just to make things easy on himself. Now, where things get interesting is the comparison against top 20 and top 10 opponents since that August 2020. He's 17-8 and against the top 20 since August uh, of 2020. You know, that that's a 68% win percentage. That's 3% lower than his career average. He's also holding serve a percent lower than his career average. 81.8 for his career, 80.8 right now. 
Breaking serve actually 2.5% or excuse me, 1.5% higher, but you know, again, that number will always be elite for Rafa Nadal. The big dips come for him in in against the top 10. You know, 64% win percentage against in his career. He's 7 and 7 against the top 10 since August 2020. He's held serve, you know, 79.8% in his career. He's holding serve about a similar clip, 80.2 right now. Break percentage, 26.8% in his career. It's about 24.7 right now. That's a notable decline for Rafa Nadal against top-level competition. And you look for him in particular, it does feel worth noting. 32-5 and five, again uh, on, uh, over these last 52 weeks. You look for him on hard courts. You know, his two losses, Lloyd Harris at the City Open, Stefano Tsitsipas last year, five sets, Australian Open quarterfinals. It does feel notable. It feels like, you know, again, for him to have the two days off here feels particularly significant. He didn't have two days off before that loss to Tsitsipas. He didn't have two days off before that loss to Lloyd Harris. For him to get those two days off, for him to be able to rest, recuperate, I mean, that's critical for Rafa at this stage of his career. And, you know, again, you look for Rafa overall, it's laughable. Some of the things he's done uh, in his career. This is Grand Slam number, uh, semifinal number 36. For him overall, he's 28-7 and seven in those Grand Slam semifinals. This is his 15th Grand Slam semifinal on hard court for him. First at the Australian Open since uh, the 2019 event where he got a little revenge over Stefano Tsitsipas before falling to Novak Djokovic in the final. And you look for him overall, I believe this is Australian Open semifinal number seven of his career. I mean, you name the accomplishments. Rafa's done it. Uh, obviously, for him overall, worth mentioning, he's facing Benteo Bertini, who's a top 10 player. Rafa, in his career, 49-22 and 22 against top 10 opponents in Grand Slams. I have one other stat for Rafa that I will get to momentarily, but I want to save that for, you know, talking about the keys to this match. But, I mean, you look for Rafa, there's a reason. All that pedigree, his form of late, that's why the percentages, tennis abstracts, draw forecast has Rafa as a 56% favorite right now. And obviously with that pedigree, that's why DraftKings as well has Rafa as the favorite via the money line. You look according to our friends there, Rafa currently a minus 215 favorite over Matteo Berrettini. Now, again, that's right in the vomit zone, right? That means they're expecting a tight match. That's not a money line you want to jump on individually because you just don't find great value there. And that's because Matteo Berrettini's played very good tennis of late. You look at Berrettini, there are a bunch of different stats you can point to. First of all, 43-13 and 13 in his last 52 weeks. That includes runs for him to the Wimbledon final, obviously most notably a, a title for him in Queens Club, a title for him in Belgrade finals of the Madrid Masters and, you know, for him quarterfinals, U.S. Open, quarterfinals, French Open, where he loses to Djokovic on both occasions, loses in that Wimbledon final to Djokovic as well. I mean, Berrettini's been killing it over the course of the last 52 weeks. You look for him overall 22-1 and against opponents ranked outside the top 50, holding serve 93.9% of the time. That's just straight-up elite, folks. Better than John Isner's career average at 91.3 against outside the top 50 opponents. Against opponents outside the top 20, by the way, he's 37-4. and He's winning 90% of his matches, and he's holding serve 93% of the time, which still, against all non-top 20 players, he holds serve right now at a rate better than prime John Isner. Uh, you know, against top 20, against top 10, that's where things get interesting. He's 7-9 and nine against the top 20 over his last 52 weeks. That hold percentage drops down to 82.5%. 1-8 and eight 
against opponents in the top 10. That hold percentage, another dip further to 77.6, which would be below uh, the top average of the top 50 ATP players. The big notice is the dip in his break percentage. He breaks serve 21.3% of the time, which is like a 30th amongst top 50 players, middle tier um, against players ranked outside the top 20. Against top 20 players, that break percentage 14.4. That would rank 47th amongst the top 50. Drops down to 6.4 against uh, the top 10. That would be actually, funny enough, 49th. Still a little bit better than John Isner's break percentage last season amongst top 50 players. But, you know, again, against players who don't have the big weapon or the physicality or the discipline or some combination of the three to continuously get the ball deep to the Berrettini backhand and continuously, you know, again, put returns in play with depth and, you know, with pace that don't just allow Berrettini to sit on a plus one forehand or have the chance to serve and volley, as obviously top 10 players do, you know, unless you have that sort of skill set, unless you have that sort of discipline, it's just you're not going to beat Matteo Berrettini. I made this case on the mini break. I think he's the surest thing right now on the ATP Tour. You know exactly what you're going to get from him performance-wise, match in, match out. And that's why he's had so much success at the Grand Slams, really dating back to 2019. You look for him since, you know, he's 21-3, and three, obviously, at the Slams in his last 52 weeks. That's freaking nuts. And he's gone quarterfinal, quarterfinal, round of 16, and a final at Wimbledon. Like, come on now. That's about all you can ask for out of a player. He's gone 35 and 8 at the Slams since the 2019 Wimbledon, and that includes, you know, fourth weeks at all but two. He lost second round Australia 2020 to Sandgren. He loses third round Roland Garros 2020 to Daniel Altmaier. Everything else, second week or better. And of course, there's a couple of semifinal runs for him at the U.S. Open 20. Oh, excuse me, there's the U.S. Open semifinal run 2019, and this run here. He's got multiple quarterfinals under his belt, whether it's 2021 Roland Garros, you know, 2021 U.S. Open, obviously. His final last year at Wimbledon. It's been really freaking good. And it does feel worth noting at the Grand Slams, you know, uh, five of his eight losses have been to top 10 players three to Djokovic, one to Nadal, one to Federer at Wimbledon 2019, and then one he had to withdraw to Stefano Tsitsipas, uh, you know, in Australia as well. And so, yeah, like those are five of his eight losses. You know, the other two losses coming earlier on, as you look for him, those earlier losses coming to Sandgren and, uh, you know, and Altmaier in 2020, those were two strange ones, certainly in a year where he wasn't particularly healthy. But outside of those two, Berrettini's a sure thing. He beats who he's supposed to beat, and he progresses until he comes up with an opponent who's got, who's uh, has elite of elite talent and the sort of dynamicism in their game to push Berrettini and, you know, get him stretched and expose that weakness. And you still look more broadly for Matteo Berrettini. It's the continued success, you know, the break percentage, 15.1% in 2018, up to 176 the next year, 183 the next year, career high 20.9% last season. He continues to minimize that weakness, and if you watched his match earlier this uh, tournament against Carlos Alcaraz, that thrilling 7-6 in the third five-set victory for Berrettini, his ability to keep Alcaraz honest with the backhand down the line and just, you know, again, uh, tolerate some of those backhand cross-court rallies until he could set up a plus-one forehand, and of course his footwork and speed and ability to find that forehand despite his size and power, it's a unique blend of athleticism. 
I mean, we saw it last the test against Alcaraz, and then he just out-executes everyone else, you know, again, whether it's Carreno Busta. Carreno Busta was a little bit worn down, so that was a plus one-off. You're not going to beat Berrettini in a plus one-off. Monfils, you know, again, that plus one ball outlasted the physicality and, you know, out-plus one Gael Monfils over the course of that match as well. Now, of course, you know, despite saying all of these things, Berrettini's played a lot of tennis over the course of the past few weeks. And I think that's one of the things you, you, that jumps out to you as you look at this match. For Matteo Berrettini, four sets against Nakashima, four sets against Kozlov, five against Alcaraz, three against Carreño Busta, five against Guillermo Monfils out of a possible 15 sets uh, needed to play. You know, he's played 11 out of the 15. And so very little break for Matteo Berrettini. Now, much like Rafa, he's had two days off. And again, if two days off is going to be beneficial for what Rafa's 36, I want to say, 35 years old, 36 later on this season, if two days off are going to be beneficial for a 35-year-old, imagine what two days off can do for a 25-year-old. And Matteo Berrettini has had two days off, so I don't think fatigue is the overla- uh, you know, is, is as much of a factor at all for Berrettini. I think it still may be for Rafa because even two days off at 35, he's just played a lot of tennis on his body these past two weeks. Berrettini is 25 years old, and it's not as though he plays – I mean, there's a physicality to his tennis, but he doesn't play the longest points, the longest matches. You know, it's still pretty efficient clinical tennis, him going after that big forehand, and certainly there's a lot of effort in running around that ball and finding the plus-one opportunities on the ad side of the court. But, you know, again, when you look at this matchup, Berrettini certainly, if you're a money line sort of guy at plus-175 – there's some appeal to it, right? Because just with Berrettini's discipline, the serve, the plus one forehand, with how he executes over and over and over again, we saw the aggressiveness of Shapovalov, you know, earn him a set against Rafa. Even in set number three, more than four, when Rafa was physically ailing, just the continued aggression, the capitalizing on Rafa's court positioning when he would stand 12 feet behind the baseline on the return and just, you know, all of these little little elements for Shapovalov to attack, he did attack and he had success doing it and he was able to stretch Rafa because of it and, you know, as explosive as Shapovalov can be, the consistency of the explosiveness of Matteo Berrettini is another level than where Shapovalov is at right now. And so I do think in this matchup, given Rafa's core positioning on the return of serve, if he's going to stand, you know, six feet or 12 feet behind the baseline and, you know, seed, you know, to try and cover every angle and just get a clean rip at the ball, Berrettini is going to get to see forehands, a lot of forehands in his service games. And he's just connected with his plus one forehand so confidently and hitting that ball so freely it's hard to not see him have success on the serve regardless of who his opponent is. And then again, I listed all of those statistics for you. Rafa has been more susceptible to a big plus one ball and those overwhelming weapons of top 10 players than he was earlier in his career. So it's a, you know, I think it's a fair bet to say Berrettini will have success. And that's why when I look at the odds for this match, you know, mine, plus 175, I'm just not comfortable betting against Rafa because, well, we'll get there in a second. Uh, but, you know, plus 175, can't get myself to do it. You know, plus four and a half games, we'll talk about that in a second. But more than anything else, over three and a half sets, that feels like a lock to me. Like, I just think Matteo Berrettini is playing too well of late, and there's a reason, according to Tennis Abstract, it's a 56-44 split percentage-wise in that match. He's playing too well, in my opinion, executing too well at what he does well, and, you know, when Berrettini's playing his brand of power tennis, it's on his terms. I think he's playing too well to not win a set 
in this match. And that's not meant to be disrespectful to Rafa, but I just that's a credit to Matteo Bertini. I think his serve, his forehand in a 3 out of 5 set format, he's just going to find his way to a set against any opponent at this point. As such, plus 4.5 games? Like, again, Rafa hasn't been on a break spree. Here in 2022, you know, I mentioned the break percentage lower than it normally is at this point for him in his career. And, you know, again, I just think he gets his one break. He he focuses on hold and serve the rest of the way. And he's going to take some chances in the return game. But, of course, the Matteo, you know, it's it's that much more difficult to break Matteo Berrettini. So, you know, again, with that in mind, I think if Rafa it does manage to break, he focuses in on holding serve the rest of the way, conserving that energy, knowing the test that will be these next two matches if he's going to advance. I just don't see Rafa running up the score. I don't see him ripping off a 6-2 set or a 6-1 sort of set. And I see Matteo Berrettini winning a set as such. Even if Rafa wins 5-6, and 5 right? Like, we cover in that scenario. That's a that's a four and a half, plus four and a half we're covering, right? Four is two, five is two, six is one, so that's five. But then Berrettini's winning a set 7-6 or Berrettini's winning a set 7-5. And all of a sudden, we cover right there. And so... If you think this match is going to be four sets or further, as I do, four and a half games is a lot. So that's how I'm going to take the Berrettini side here. I just think he keeps this match competitive. I think he keeps that spread close. Plus four and a half games, minus 125 versus the plus three and a half games, uh, which I believe is you get a little better value on there. Um, uh, Excuse me, plus five and a half games, which you get a little worse value on there. Plus three and a half, you get even more value. Four and a half feels right for me. Minus 125 feels right. Half a unit on that to win 0.4. But again, I think Berrettini wins a set. I think Berrettini keeps this match close. You look for Rafa throughout the course of his career, and this was the one other stat I was saving that I wanted to throw at all of you listeners against players with one-handed backhands. He's 308 and 69, 82% win percentage in his career. 299 and 65. So 82% win percentage again at ATP level matches against one-handed backhands. He's also 80 and 12 at the Grand Slams against players with one-handed backhands. The players who, who have beaten him, Federer, the only one to do it multiple times. He's done it four times. Team, Tsitsipas, Gonzo, James Blake, and Peridorn, uh, Sri Hachapan. I butchered that. I apologize. Mikhail Yuzny and then Steve Darcy's 2013 Wimbledon. What a flash in the pan moment that was for all of us tennis fans. 80 and 12. 87% win percentage in three out of five sets against players with one-handed backhands. Why do I bring this up? Does Berrettini have a one-handed backhand? Technically, no. But how many freaking times in Rafael Nadal's career have you watched him come up against, in particular, Roger Federer, but any player with a one-handed, you know, with a, 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 sl- a majority slice backhand side, someone who wants to, you know, again, play the slice there and set up the forehands and try to run around that ball? Rafa eats that game plan for breakfast. Rafa just serve into that backhand wing, forehand into your forehand corner, forehand cross court into your backhand, and now you're just on his turn. And he ropes you and he ropes you and he ropes you and he ropes you until he wins the match. And he just fires serve after serve, slice down the tee on the ad side, slice out wide uh, on the do side, excuse me, slice out wide on the ad side. And then, you know, he'll mix in his spots. It's just plus one forehand after plus one forehand to the open court. I can see this script. 
playing out. I just see how Rafa breaks down that backhand over and over and over again. And again, you look for Matteo Berrettini, some statistical uh, reservations for him. You know, again, I mentioned the record one in eight against top 10 opponents, his hold percentage, eight, 93 point, uh, uh, 93% against opponents ranked outside the top 20, 77.6% against opponents ranked inside of it. That break percentage, 21.3 against non-top 20 opponents, 6.4 against top 10 opponents. Top 10 opponents have the not only the the sort of strengths to minimize Berrettini's biggest strength, but they also have the strengths to maximize his weaknesses. And so Rafa does have that sort of dynamic game. And Rafa is coming off of two days rest. Therefore, I lean Rafa in this matchup. And I just think, again, from a money line perspective, minus 215, not good enough on its own. But that's why I'm staying away from the Berrettini money line. We'll get back to Rafa, though. We're going to throw him in a parlay somewhere, rest assured. There's a minus 215 for us to enjoy down the road. But that's matchup number one on the day. And honest to God, it's two top 10 seeds. It's, you know, exceptional tennis. Berrettini as consistent as any player on the ATP Tour over the last 52 weeks. And, you know, Rafa, member of the big three, chasing Grand Slam history, going for title number 21 as well. And I don't think we're having that conversation yet because many of us still can't grapple with the fact that Rafa somehow finds himself in the semifinals and very legitimately still has a shot to lead, or maybe I'm just projecting for myself there, but I just feel like we haven't started the, oh my God, Rafa might win number 21 conversation as soon as we would have if Djokovic was in this point. I don't think Federer ever gets to this point. If he was at this point of the tournament, I guarantee you we'd be talking about it. Uh, But you look, I think the more fun matchup and the better matchup, if we're being honest, on the day is Medvedev-Sitsipas. And you look uh, for Daniil Medvedev, uh, you know, again, number two seed in this event. He's been downright spectacular by just about any metric you want to turn to. And, you know, there are a couple I do want to turn to for Daniil Medvedev. Let's start with the basic one, uh, uh, 70 and 14, excuse me, over his last 52 weeks. That's an 83% win percentage. That's the Edberg range. That's the Courier range. That's, you know, that caliber of historic talent. You know, you're winning 85% or more. Now you're talking McEnroe and Agassi and Sampras and obviously what the big three are doing. That's what their primes looked like. Bjorn Borg as well. And they even leak into that 90% zone. But anything over 80, you're talking historic levels of success. And that's where Medvedev's been. And it's not just whooping up on opponents he should be right, beating, right? You look for Daniil Medvedev, 29-0 against opponents ranked outside the top 50 over these last 52 weeks. So yeah, he's whooping on who he should be whooping on. But also 50-6 and six in general against opponents ranked outside the top 20. 20-8 and eight, though. 71% win percentage still against top 20 opponents. And then perhaps most impressively, 12-5. and 5, 71% win percentage against opponents ranked inside the top 10 as well. He's beaten everyone he, he should be beating. And you, you can really t- point this back. And I, I examined this all the way back in the hiatus, you know, from April to August of 2020. What were some of the best historic three to five year runs we've seen in tennis history? And I've you know, beat on this point a couple of times over the past couple of days on this pod. You have a three-year run, you're historically good. You have a five-year run, you're historically great. You have a seven-plus-year run, you're historic. You're the Grofs, the Navratilovas, the big threes of the world. Medvedev right now is ripping off one of those three-year runs. You look for him since the City Open in 2019, his big breakthrough event of the breakthrough summer. You know, that City Open loses to Kyrgios in a thrilling final, loses to Rafa in Canada, wins Cincy, and finals that U.S. Open. Since that 2019 run, 
he's 127 and 31 overall. He's won 80% of that his matches during that stretch of time. You look for him against opponents ranked outside the top 50. Daniil Medvedev, 55 and 6 against opponents ranked outside the top 50 over this three-year stretch, 41 and 17. So that's a 71% win percentage against opponents ranked outside the top, tw- uh, ranked inside the top 20. Excuse me, he's 86 and 14. So an 86% win percentage against opponents ranked outside the top 20. But again, against top 20 opponents, 41 and 17. He's winning 70% of his matches against the top 20, 24 and 12 against the top 10 during that stretch of time as well. And it's just, you know, how little, you know, for him, the big thing has been the improvement on serve. You know, during this stretch of time, he's holding 87.2% of the time overall. He's holding 85.7% of the time against top 10 opponents. So yeah, there's still a one point what five percent dip for him uh, against the top 10, but that 85.7 number would still be top 15 amongst top 50 players. So just against top 10 opponents, he's still a top 15 server amongst the ATP uh, on the ATP tour. That's a testament to the progress he's made. He very much looks at the role of six foot six when he's hitting that serve and the depth and the variety that he has in that plus one ball, the approach shots, whether it's, you know, the slice, the short angles, all of the different things that he can do. That's what makes Daniil Medvedev so special, of course, is not only can he do all of those things, He's also broken serve at 29 at a 29% break percentage over these last uh, three seasons. And you look for him in the last 52 weeks, 30.1%. That's a top five number on the ATP tour. And, you know, it's about 2% worse than prime Djokovic, prime Nadal. He's not quite on that level. But when you're over 30%, that's the elite of the elite historically. And right now, over the last 52 weeks of play, he is at 30.1%. That is elite of the elite. And of course, you know, you look for him at the Grand Slams during this three-year run as well, because I think he's been just as impressive there as he has been anywhere else. It's simply remarkable. You look for Daniil Medvedev overall. Again, since that City Open 2019, that breakthrough run for him uh, in terms of breaking into the top 10, right? And breaking into just the top of men's tennis. He's 39-7 and at the Grand Slams overall during that time. Now he's played all eight that have been contested over that stretch of time. You look for him overall. Again, in those eight events, he's reached the round of 16 in each of the eight that he's played six and two in those eight slams as well in that round of 16. So he's made six different quarterfinals and he's five and one in his quarterfinals. So he's made five different semis. And now, you know, he's into, uh, you know, this is semi number five and he's made three different finals as well. Now he's one and two in those finals, but historically, yeah, he's, you know, three titles short of where Courier was, hasn't quite won the titles that you know, uh, that a that an Edberg has won either. But I think he's already surpassed the Roddicks and the Hewitts and the Saffins of the world, certainly the Tomasio Hansons of the world, in terms of what he's accomplished. And obviously, I think all of us expect him to rack up a couple more slams now over the next couple of seasons. If he's able to do that, get to four, get to five, even, you know, you get to two, certainly elite of elite category. You get to three, four, five, now we're talking exclusive territory, and historically, by the numbers, 
that's the sort of success Daniil Medvedev's on track to have. That sort of, you know, again, four, five Grand Slam title career. Of course, there are many other interesting players right now on the ATP Tour. And by the way, I forgot to mention Rafa, 1-0 in his career against Berrettini. Uh, beat him in straight sets in the U.S. Open semifinal uh, back in 2019. Obviously, they're different players now, but at least we've seen Rafa break him down. But a matchup we've seen frequently between some of those other players, right, emerging right now is that matchup between Daniil Medvedev and his opponent in the semifinals in Stefano Tsitsipas. And you look for Stefanos and, you know, Medvedev enters the match, minus 275 favorite over Tsitsipas, who's plus 220. You look via our friends at Tennis Abstract, Medvedev is 78.6% favorite to Tsitsipas is 21.4. But of course, that doesn't measure immediate performance. And simply put, Tsitsipas might have put forward the best performance of the tournament. In his straight set victory over Yannick Sinner in the quarterfinals, 6-3, 6-4, 6-2, does not face a break point throughout the course of the match, wins 79% of his first serve points, making 68% of his first serve, 60% of his second serve points, was brutally and ruthlessly efficient on his plus one ball. Tsitsipas is playing exceptional tennis, about as well as he could have asked to play entering this semifinal match. And of course, Tsitsipas did not play well entering the, the quarterfinal round. You know, even his straight set win over Emer in round one, it was a little sloppy. And then, you know, four sets over Baez, four sets over Pear, five sets over a very much informed Taylor Fritz. But to see Tsitsipas earn that confident and definitive win the way that he did... It's undeniable that Tsitsipas will enter this match with confidence, and you look for Stefanos over these last, you know, again, 16-12 over his last 52 weeks, 37-14 and 14 on hard courts during that stretch. You look for him against opponents ranked outside the top 50. He's cleaned up 22-4 and four and 47-11 against opponents ranked outside the top 20, 13-9 against top 20 opponents, 6-8 and eight against top 10 opponents. And the big thing for him is, you know, again, those top 20, top 10 sort of players have the big serves and, uh, you know, more importantly, the big plus one ball to still attack the the definitive weakness of Stefano Tsitsipas, which on a faster court is the backhand return. And, you know, most notably the break percentage for him. It's 25% overall over the last 52 weeks. It's 20% against top 20 opponents. It's 17.2% against top 10 opponents. 17.2 would be a bottom 10 number amongst top 50 players on the ATP Tour. And if you do have that overwhelming pace to attack that corner with, you're going to get some opportunities to play attacking tennis to keep Tsitsipas on his back foot, which, you know, as well as he was hitting that inside-out forehand against Sinner uh, defensively, that's just not where he wants to be. Uh, but still, you look for Tsitsipas. I mean, talk about another guy who's been exceptional at the Grand Slams of late. You look for Stefanos. He's 47-19 and 19 overall in his career at the Slams, 17-4 and four in these last 52 weeks. This is his third Australian Open semifinal in the last four years. And, of course, he made the semifinals here last year before bowing out to Medvedev finals at the French Open uh, last season as well. I mean, Tsitsipas always comes into the year fresh, healthy, playing his best tennis. He's done so again this season. And, you know, I you look at this matchup, it's an interesting one because certainly on paper, Daniil Medvedev, 6-2 and two in his career against Stefano Tsitsipas. And, you know, the two of those losses, you know, one of the losses came at Roland Garros, right? So you kind of th- throw that one out the window in this one because obviously we're playing on hard courts here. But... I do think it's important to note that since 2019, since both of these players became a facsimile, at least, of what they are now, you know, Medvedev's 3-2 and two 
over Tsitsipas during that time. And Tsitsipas did beat Medvedev indoor hard courts at the Tour Finals back in 2019. Now, I think both guys have taken a jump in level since that 2019 season. And it is worth noting they split their decisions last year. Medvedev straight sets at the Aussie semifinal. Tsitsipas straight sets in the French Open quarterfinal. Certainly on this surface, from a matchup perspective, Medvedev's got a lot of tools to attack Tsitsipas with. The big serve into that backhand corner, the ability to absorb the pace of the Tsitsipas plus one forehand and, you know, again, drive that ball into his backhand ad side of the corner. No shame in just painting that corner over and over and over again. But then if Tsitsipas starts cheating over, going big down the line and, you know, incorporating the drop shots. And I certainly think Tsitsipas has the serve, the forehand to overwhelm Medvedev with some pace on that wing. But, you know, defensive Medvedev moves the ball so well around the court. And you saw him survive a plus one onslaught against Felix Ogier-Aliassim in that quarterfinal round, a match where Felix was playing his best tennis, was executing flawlessly with his plus one ball. And look, Felix got him to match point, and I would argue Felix was playing better than Tsitsipas entering the quarterfinal round of this tournament. Now, then Tsitsipas does what he does in the quarterfinals, so you kind of saw how he can even take the game style of FAA to that next level, but I just think from a matchup perspective on hard courts, again, Medvedev's got the serve to attack the Tsitsipas backhand with. He's got the willingness to move forward, the volley skills to take advantage to not let Tsitsipas camp out 12 feet behind the baseline and find forehand returns. And then the backhand to absorb the inside-out forehand of Tsitsipas, absorb that pace and the defensive skills, you know, again, to turn some defense into offense and make Tsitsipas' aggressive court positioning work against him at times, bait him into prematurely attacking throughout the course of points. I like Medvedev in this matchup. I really do. Now, again, we talked about the options we had coming over from day 11. We have the Medvedev-Barty parlay in play, minus 145, one unit to win 0.69. We got a hedge because it's the end of the tournament, and we just want to put money in our pockets, and you can guarantee yourselves at least you know 0.1 units if you hedge, and you take the Tsitsipas plus 220 money line, because if you do that and you put half a unit to win plus 220, you get 1.1 units in return. Now, on the Medvedev-Barty bet, we've got one unit out, 0.69 in return. In other words, if Medvedev wins, we win 0.19. If Tsitsipas wins, we win 0.1. Let's raise the stakes a little bit. Now, again, that Tsitsipas hedge just to cover yesterday's bet, but we got to throw in one more parlay into today's action. Our final play, a Medvedev Nadal all-favorite parlay. Now, via our friends at DraftKings, you can actually get Medvedev uh, Nadal to make the final at plus 110, which is better than a Medvedev Nadal money line parlay. But I would go, you know, again, I, I don't know if everyone options that. So if you only have the money line parlays available to you, and I assume that's what most of you do have, so that's what we're going to go with here. You get minus 101 odds. Obviously, you take the plus 110 over the minus 101, and they mean the same thing. But I think the favorites win. Give me the steadiness and the discipline of the Nadal play, back, uh, breaking down the Berrettini backhand. And then ditto for Medvedev against Stefano Tsitsipas. Again, where the bet here is, is the backhand return good enough? I'm going to say no for both of these players for one more tournament, Tsitsipas and Berrettini. I think Berrettini is the more likely of the two to win. That's why we've got the plus four and a half games covered over Nadal. Yes, Medvedev's coming off of a five-set match against FAA, but fitness has never been his problem. He's had a day off. I feel good about the board here. I feel good about where we're at entering day 12 of this tournament. So... 
To recap, our aces of the day. Give me Berrettini, plus four and a half games over Nadal, minus 125, half a unit to win 0.4. Give me Berrettini over three and a half sets. Tsitsipas Medvedev over three and a half sets as well. Parlayed together, plus 130, full unit on that to win 1.3. I think we're going to get some competitive tennis here on day 12. I'll also take a Medvedev Nadal money line parlay, minus 101, one unit to win 0.99. And then just a teensy hedge. Tsitsipas plus 220 over Medvedev. Half a unit to win 1.1. That's to cover our Medvedev Barty parlay from day 11. Those are your picks for our GSP aces of the day. We're 21 and 23 and 1, down 0.19 units overall. Three days to go. We got to make some money back. We got to make a push here down the home stretch. I think we've made the plays today to do just that. But with all that said, if you've missed anything from the 2022 Australian Open, you can catch up on it all on our website, crackedrackets.com. Mini break coming up later today with David Kane to recap where things stand with the women. We did a similar podcast yesterday with Gil Gross that I think actually accompanies this podcast quite well. So you can find all of those podcasts wherever you listen to your podcast by searching mini break podcast feed or, of course, find all the links on our website, crackedrackets.com. Of course, for the immediate updates, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, we are at crackedrackets. You want to message me directly. I am at A.L. Gruskin. A shout-out, as always, to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, for the of an editing job he does day in, day out, making all of our content possible. With all of that said, for our fantastic super producer, Daniel Westoff, all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. We hope you enjoy day 12's action, and as always, may the odds be ever in your favor. Good luck, everyone. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. 